it's good to see you all. It's good to be back. We, uh, we had a little time away last weekend, as you know. Melanie and I were able to go to be with our daughter Isabella for parent weekend at her college. So as a freshman, this was the first time we could do that, and it was a wonderful experience. And so we're grateful to have had a little time away. Then we traveled down to see our moms in South Carolina. Melanie's mom turned 87 on Tuesday, and we were able to celebrate her birthday. And then we got to travel down uh, to see my mom. And some of you know, but if you didn't, you know, she and her friend Richard had been dating about eight years. Um, he, a widower and she a widow, and he proposed to her. And I was able to do the wedding last week. So she's probably watching on the live stream right now. So congratulations, Mom and Richard. Our church loves you, and we're glad that you watch regularly. But it was a joy to officiate their wedding last week while we were down in South Carolina. So it was quite an eventful week, to say the least. However, it's always good to be back home, and this is home. And so thank you. I want to invite you to join in our uh, prayer, and, and here's what I need you to do. Uh, the, the prayer, I've, I've written it out today, and there are four responses, and they go like this. I'll say it, and then I'll get you to do it one time. I'll say, after some words of prayer, in your mercy and kindness, and you will say, hear our prayer. Are you ready? In your mercy and kindness, hear our prayer. Very good. All right. Well, would you join me now as we bow together for prayer? Oh, God, like the Israelites in the wilderness, we too have known your love, and we've experienced your care and provision. You invite us to extend that same love to the world around us, to care for others as deeply as we care for ourselves. You've called us to bring our prayers and petitions to you. And so we bring these needs of those close to us and even far before you now. Those who are hospitalized, in rehab, those who are grieving, perhaps who are here for the first time since the loss of a loved one, those who are battling illness and others fighting cancer and COVID. Lord, in your mercy and kindness, hear our prayer. For those in Thailand and the Ukraine and in Florida, in your mercy and kindness, hear our prayer. We pray for the many who do not have enough, enough food to eat or shelter to keep warm, enough employment or money to pay their bills, enough medicine or medical care. Lord, we are thankful for those who help in these times, like Caritas, Chesterfield County Food Bank, the Crop Walk, Shalom Farms, Sophia Seminary, and others. Lord, in your mercy and kindness, hear our prayer. 
We also pray for those who have more than enough, but who still struggle to find meaning and purpose in life, who indulge in dangerous or even self-serving activity or try to self-medicate by dulling their pain or loneliness. Lord, in your mercy and kindness, hear our prayer. God, your grace reaches out to all of us. You call us to live as citizens of heaven, working together with one heart and mind. Strengthen us, O God, to live in a manner that is worthy of the good news we have received, offering our lives in service of your kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last, and where there is grace enough for all. Lord, in your mercy and kindness, hear our prayer, and we make it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, God's people said, Amen. Our second lesson for the sermon today comes from the book of Psalms. And I invite you to follow along as we read Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. This is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his holy word. Amen. In 1950, an 18-year-old woman by the name of Joan Ellis lived outside of Chicago. And one day she was diagnosed with an illness that caused her to be admitted to the hospital. While she was certainly concerned about her illness, what concerned her more was that this happened right before her college, I mean, before her high school graduation. She was concerned that she would miss the commencement exercises. She would be devastated. Her treating physician told her and her parents not to worry and said, you're in good hands. Sure enough, Joan recovered, and soon she went home, and she did not miss her high school graduation ceremony. What you may not know about Joan Ellis is that her father, Davis, was vice president and general sales manager at Allstate Insurance Company, and he was on a committee to create a new marketing slogan for their company. As the team brainstormed, Davis recalled how the doctor's words helped relieve his family's stress when his daughter Joan was in the hospital. And he decided that that would be the way Allstate customers should feel after a car accident or a house fire or some other kind of unexpected peril. Like someone who cared arrived to make sure that everything would be okay. 
if you watch college football and pay attention to the end zone, you'll see the Good Hands logo printed on the mesh net that catches the football after it's kicked through there by, well, from an extra point or a field goal. Or some of you might be familiar with the tagline, we're the good hands people that Allstate has used in their advertising. For over 70 years now, good hands, the good hands promise has been at the heart of their advertising. Agents and employees and other staff still use the phrase as a reminder of their commitment to keeping customers well protected from life's uncertainties. You know what? Allstate didn't invent that. We've been doing it for thousands of years as Christians. Christians have been reaching out to the needy, to the lost, to the broken, to the oppressed and underserved and overlooked since the beginning of our faith. Think about it. It's in our DNA. When Jesus reached out to the unclean, the passage you heard earlier was an example of one where ten lepers were in the presence of Jesus and they were ostracized. They were deemed unclean, ceremonially impure. And who was it but Jesus that healed them? Other occurrences where Jesus would touch those who were deemed unclean because of some disease or something that made them ritually unacceptable. Or remember when Peter walked out on the water during the stormy sea, Jesus had said, come out to me, Peter. And Jesus was there with him. And when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and paid more attention to the stormy waters than he did Jesus, he fell in. And who was it that reached out and pulled him in with his hand and put him back in the boat but Jesus himself? Or the story that Jesus told about a man who had been robbed and beaten and left in a ditch for dead alongside the road. And none other than a Samaritan came along and lifted him out from the ditch, extended a hand and helped him and bandaged his wounds and took him to a safe place for healing and even paid the lodging until such time the man was ready to be on his own and back to normal. Or remember the words of the Apostle Paul who told the Ephesian Christians in his letter to them that they were to be kind and compassionate to one another. And the New Testament word translated kind or to be kind comes from the root word chair, C-H-E-I-R, which literally means hand, that we are to lend a helping hand and to be compassionate to one another, to reach out with loving arms and help someone in need, not expecting anything in return. This New Testament understanding has its roots in what we call, or what the Old Testament calls, the chesed love of God, the everlasting loving kindness of God. I believe with all my heart that God wants us to be nice, but the Scripture doesn't say be nice and compassionate one another. The Scripture says be kind. Sometimes 
I know myself, for example, I've tried to be nice to someone so that I would get something in return. If I'm nice to the cashier, maybe I'll get a bonus or a discount or something for free. If I'm nice, then maybe I'll get something in return. But God doesn't want us to just be nice so that we might get um, something nice in return. God calls us to be kind and to expect nothing at all back. Sometimes when we try to be nice, we try to please others or placate them to satisfy them. And there's a motivation there. But kindness is not like that at all. For us as Christians, kindness is to be embodied, meaning that it is the foundation of our very existence or being. Kindness, if you remember how we used the word keystone in our trust series, we would say that kindness is the keystone of the Christian faith. It is the foundation of our being. It is to be embodied, but it also is to be active. Kindness is a voluntary decision or action to share love with others who are in some need. It may be a kind word or action, but we expect nothing in return. Both embodied and active kindness work together as what I describe as the DNA of the heart or the heart of Christianity, which results in a kindness culture. Every church should strive for a culture of kindness or a kindness culture. It's my heartfelt prayer that we will build on the foundation of kindness and compassion that our foremothers and fathers gave us as an inheritance here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. When you go back and study the history of our church and hear the stories of why people came here and stayed, it goes back to loving kindness, that there is a spirit of loving kindness at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Just a little bit ago this morning, I had the opportunity to be part of our first Merge class, which is a three-part series for those who are recently mem new members of our church or those who are seeking to learn more about our church. We had 11 members, 11 members in that group this morning, and most everyone, as they went around the circle introducing themselves, described our church as caring, kind, and friendly, and, that, uh, and, and said that those were the reasons why they came back and continued to worship here, and we're so grateful for that. That's not by accident. That is something that's in the DNA of our congregation. Now, we're not perfect, and there are times where we will fail, but I believe that is something that we all aspire to be, is a kind and compassionate. We want to be known in our community in that way as well. So to reinforce that, we're focusing on kindness this month. Today's the first of four messages in this kindness culture series. Today we're focusing on the kindness of God. We're going to talk about the character and nature of our kind God. Next Sunday we'll focus on God's kindness as reflected in His Son, Jesus Christ. Part three will be a study of the spiritual gift of kindness because it is one of the 
gift that is listed in the New Testament. And then fourth, we'll conclude the series focusing on the kindness that was part of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Today's scripture, focusing on the kindness of God, is from the book of Psalms. As I said, it's the shortest psalm in all 150 of the psalms. In fact, it's the shortest chapter in all the Bible. It is to the book of Psalms what Jesus wept is to the New Testament. You know how many of you did sword drill when you were growing up in church or vacation Bible school or training, church training, and you all wanted to to memorize Jesus wept because it was the shortest verse in the Bible and everybody wanted that one. Well, Psalm 117 is sort of like that. It's full of tr- of the truth and character of the nature uh, and the, the nature of God. And it points us to the God who desires that we extend his loving kindness, his chesed in the Hebrew, to the entire world. We can say with confidence that these two verses of Psalm 117 perhaps are a prelude to the gospel message way before Jesus ever spoke the words. And I'll unpack that in a minute. But first, just a little background. Psalm 117 is part of the group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms. Hallel means to give light to. It's part of what we sang and what the the music has focused on, not only in this service, but our awakening service as well, praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallel means to give light to, to magnify, to praise. And Yah is one of the ways God is known. Yahweh, Yehovah. Putting them together, hallel, yah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give light to the Lord. Magnify the name of the Lord. Praise him. Oh, praise him. Both verses of Psalm 117 include hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is what we mean when we sing the doxology as we did at the beginning of the service. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We acknowledge that God is the one responsible for all things good. God is good. When God created the light and the darkness, God said, it is good. When God created the heavens and the earth, God said, it is good. When God created the fish of the sea and all the creatures in the sea, God said, it is good. When God created the birds of the air, God said, it is good. When God created the animals and created people in his image, God said, it is good. And then when God finished creating, God looked at all that God had created and said, it is very good. Tov ma'od. Very good. God is the author of all that is good. The book of Exodus reinforces this. God's word to Moses, chapter 34, verses 5 through 7a. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed Moses' name. And then said the Lord to him. And then God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, 
the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The character and nature of God. God is good. God is kind. God's loving kindness endures forever. God is the creator of kindness. God invented it. The Jews would sing this reality aloud through the Hallel Psalms at their festivals and feasts, in particular at the Passover. The Hallel Psalms are comprised of six, Psalms 113 through Psalm 118. And they are all they all include the spirit of thanksgiving. Israel sang them as thanksgiving and praise for God's redemptive nature and God's deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. The people remembered and rejoiced at, over the Exodus. Israel also sang these hymns as they anticipated the coming of the Messiah. Every Passover included a portion of anticipation of the Messianic banquet and thus was filled with hope and expectation of the final deliverance of God's people. Psalm 113, I hope you'll, this week, we'll read the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 through 118. Psalm 113 is a song of God's deliverance and redemption. Psalm 114, a song recalling God's deliverance of Israel from Egyptian slavery and a reminder of God's works of goodness and mercy. Psalm 115 reminded the people that they were to serve the one and only true God and that God always remembered his people. Psalm 116 a song that reminded the Jews of how God saved his people from death and delivered them through the parted waters of the Red Sea and ultimately through the parted waters of the Jordan as they would enter the land of promise. And Psalm 117 is an invitation to all nations and all peoples to share in the Passover meal. I hope you pick up on the gospel, the prelude to the gospel here. The Bible says, Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Extol him, all ye peoples. All nations and all peoples. God desires every person to be at the table. And then in Psalm, one, Psalm 118, a song of thanksgiving for God's deliverance and a celebration of a new day, a new beginning, all because of God's loving kindness and mercy. You'll know this verse, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We recite that often in worship. In particular, we recite that passage on Palm Sunday and on Easter Day. It reminds us that a new day has come through our good God because of the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. He is our Lord. Let's pay particular attention 
to what I referred to as a prelude to the gospel in verse 1. Praise the Lord is an imperative verb in the Hebrew. It's not just something as a reminder. It is a command. And it means that God's desire is that every nation praise him and extol his mighty name. God desires that every nation, and the word in the Hebrew is goyim. It, it, it literally means all the nations. It's often translated Gentiles in some of your Bibles. So it is reaching beyond the Jewish family. God desires all nations know him and praise him and are at his table. And then the second part of verse 1 refers to the peoples. Extol him, all you peoples. Another imperative where God desires that every person, tribe, nation, tongue praise his name. This not only points us to the gospel message where Jesus said, go into all the nations, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but it also uh, uh, points us to what happened at Pentecost where people from every nation and language and tongue and tribe were present to hear the gospel. All of that packed into this first verse of Psalm 117. And God is extending God's kindness that people would come to love him and know him. Since the Hallel Psalms were, including Psalm 117, were sung at the Passover, we can say with confidence that Jesus and his disciples would have sung these verses after the Passover meal, which was the Last Supper, which you all celebrated last Sunday, the first Sunday of the month. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark both tell us a report that Jesus and the disciples sang a hymn as they departed from the Passover meal. They would have sung the Hallels, Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Extol him, all ye peoples. Great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. On such a dark, difficult night where Jesus would be betrayed, he and the disciples would have still sung praises to the Lord. They celebrated God's chesed, his loving kindness to all. They sang that his loving kindness, his chesed, endures forever and ever and ever. When we recite Psalm 117 as we have today, we acknowledge that God is the source of all things good, that God is good, and that God does good. Even when bad things happen, we can see the goodness of God break through, that God desires that good things come to those who love him and have his have their purpose in him. 
God gives good things to those who believe. Forgiveness of sin and the assurance of eternal life with him in heaven. God's goodness is shown with great patience and humility. How often do I run ahead of God and I'm so thankful that God loves me with great patience and humility. And this uh, psalm helps us to celebrate the goodness of God as we worship him and magnify his good name. And because there's commands here that God is desiring that we join him, that God wants us to act like God in this world, that we are to be more like him, represented through the Christian faith. We are to be kind. We are to love others through our kind actions and words, expecting nothing in return. Theologian Paul Tillich said in an interview, justice is the backbone of love. Doing justice is the backbone of God's everlasting chesed, his everlasting loving kindness. Mother Teresa said this, Spread love everywhere you go. First of all, in your own house. Give love to your children, to your wife or your husband, to a next-door neighbor. Let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness, she said. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile, kindness in in your warm greeting. I'm thankful that folks say they receive a warm greeting here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. And I pray that God will continue to help us represent him in that way, not only here, but as we go out there in our community. Perhaps the prophet Micah captures all of this best in chapter 6, verse 8 of his book. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God.